Welcome to the Inside Data Center podcast. I'm Andy Davis, and in this podcast, I will interview the people working in the data center sector and tell their stories. If you are working in the DC sector or you are looking to work in the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to the Inside Data Center podcast. Today, I'm joined by Matt Roche of Rebellion and Rise Futures. Good afternoon, Matt. Good afternoon, Andy. Thanks for having us on. Hey Jeff, really thanks for coming on. Obviously, I know I, I reached out to you to ask if you fancy doing it, so I really appreciate it. Obviously, keen to discuss your career, touch on your current projects, which you know are really changing the way people are doing things. So it'd be great to cover that. And obviously also touch a bit on mental health, which I know is something that's really important to you as well. Before we start, do you just want to give a quick introduction of, of who you are, basically? Yeah, no problem. So um Matt Roach, I've been in the kind of industry of technology for probably 20, 20 plus years now, really, 25 years nearly. Um, and equally spent a lot of time in the industry and have recently taken the decision to kind of part-time industry, part-time working in charity as well, which is the, the Rise Futures part of what we do. But yeah, get, getting older, 25 years in the game now. Yeah, exactly. I'll keep thinking that now. When I, people ask me, how long have you been in recruitment? And now it's in the 20 years and you start to question how old you actually are. <laughs> felt young for a long period of time in the last five years I'm like oh Christ that, that period's gone <laughs> yeah, yeah in the distant memory um, yep. where I always like to start is to go back to the beginning of your career like you say you touched on it there and you spent a really you know a, a good time within the technology sector but how did it all start for you when did you how did you start your career and when did you end up in the data centre sector so I think as an overarching principle I think I've been very very lucky that people have taken care of me so um, fairly low education, was out of the school system by I was 15, um, no real formal qualifications in that aspect, very practical. My father was um, a builder, so I spent a lot of my time on construction sites from a young young age and, and not spending probably enough time in school is the honest answer. Um, but through that, met a lot of people in my life that kind of took care of me, so ended up in an office on a, on a part-time job that was doing like filing for credit control or some function. Um, so it was never a plan. It was, it was an extra piece of money on top of the work I was doing around laboring and construction, et cetera. I was fairly, um, fairly loud, um, which, which was completely inappropriate for the role I was doing, but there were people in there again that kind of saw something in me, saw a bit of energy, saw a bit of character and worked with me around developing skills. I ended up working for an American company called Annexter, which is actually a distributor of kind of um, networks, technology components, et cetera. But they had um, an amazing training scheme. So kind of invested in me, working with me, training, et cetera, um, which was kind of a foundational element for me because I had no real practical skills or you know, couldn't use a computer, et cetera, and all of those type elements. So invested fairly heavily, which was, which was great. I then went on to work in the data center sector probably early 20s um, and actually got exposure into construction went to work for an end client um had a fairly at the time was a massive data center it was a six megawatt facility with two three megawatt halls which then was hyperscale now it's almost deemed as a contract but um that was kind of my first exposure back in and it was kind of focused on i understood technology but also understood construction as well so started to build up a fairly unique skill set around those elements and mixing the two worlds together understanding how a data center gets turned up but also understanding core principles of how we actually build them as well so that became my kind of unique talent that we started to nurture but again it was people taking interest in me all the way through people spent time with me they helped me develop my skills things that I didn't have capability to do they, they kind of pushed me on and, and pushed me up through through those elements and 
one of the most valuable things was working overseas from a young age. I got exposure. I got to go and work in Africa, worked in multiple places across Europe. You know, fast forward 25 years and I've worked pretty much all, all the way around the world. But um, that was a huge part of my learning. So kind of fund- fundamental skills were big, but being exposed to different cultures, different people kind of accelerated a lot of those things. And I think went from construction through sort of management, then um, joined a construction company, went from client side to construction company, ISG, and and learned a tremendous amount in that business as well. And kind of cut my teeth in my first senior position as a managing director um, and took more responsibility for broad projects, building a business, people, gained those skill sets, and, and then went on to become COO of Yonder, a developer, which is my last position kind of in, in corporate life and was very lucky in all of those elements all the way through people felt responsible for me mentored me guided me um which has been fundamental so i've got a real broad range of kind of started out technical went kind of into management you know principal operations leadership strategy a real spectrum across my career i'd say so you achieved a lot and you know great success and i think it's it's really interesting what you said there about your background and that you you know you didn't have the formal qualifications and i know this links well to obviously with the work you're doing at the moment and we'll obviously go into that in a minute but do you think like people like yourself and when you look back when you were in that situation you really need somebody to kind of help you and push you in the right direction it's quite difficult i guess for children or people in that scenario to go and find that they need someone to come and get them does that make sense i think it's fundamental i think anything i've achieved in my career has been due to others people have taken a chance on me and and you know the majority of positions i I went into were probably younger in age not necessarily having credentials or experiences i went through those levels and it was it was based on you know other people taking an interest and then working with me as well so i think most people that would have work with me in all those positions would say I can be difficult as well so lots of there's lots of raw talent but some some things makes me difficult to work with and hard to work with as well and their patience you know their guidance etc all things that kind of influence me it's been I'd say probably eight people that I could look at that have fundamentally changed where I've ended up in life through the things I've been able to do in my work the travel I've been able to do the exposure the skills I've gained you know it's been phenomenal but those eight people probably over the course of my career have you know changed my life which is great. And I also think on the mentoring side, it's something that comes up a lot on these discussions, whether it's someone that is mentoring or someone that's being mentored. And I find in, in the data center sector, and you know, you can obviously have your opinion on this as well, but people genuinely do want to help other people from a mentoring perspective because they can see that there is that need for people in the sector. And also a lot of them have been in that situation, haven't they? And they've needed that themselves. I think it's... I think most people are fundamentally good. When when you ask something, you know, when you ask people for advice, etc. I think it's in in human human beings as well that we all of us really do want to help. Like if someone phoned me up and said I, I need a bit of this or that, you know, I don't think many people would say no. Most people do want to generally help. And it, as an industry, I think it's got it's got less ego in that sense. A lot of people would sit down and have a conversation and, and offer advice, etc. I agree. And um, finally, on the data center sector, before we move on to Rebellion and your, your current projects, but you, you touched on it earlier, like a six megawatt was a big data center going back to the start of your career. But what are the main changes you've seen across your career in the sector? Is there anything that stands out that you've this a drastic shift in, in the sector? I think scale is, is probably the, the biggest element of it. I think the 
the kind of um, standardized open design approach as well. I think it's been a, a significant shift. So from original enterprise, nice finishes, et cetera, we've, we've gone to a much more industrial type approach when we start talking about the scale of what we do. I think that's been a significant shift. Um, and I think capability as well. And I think that capability is becoming much broader of the things we need to cover now. But I think the capability of the industry is moved on significantly and, and people have become more multidisciplinary as well. I've seen people that were kind of heavy into telco that have gone into construction, vice versa. Construction people have gone into you know, server technology. So there's been a real mix of, of kind of capabilities and, and changing capabilities. Uh, yeah, it's definitely something you're seeing a lot more. Like scale is crazy, isn't it? Sometimes when you, you're talking about it and the, I even going back a year or two years, you, you, you're going from, 20 megawatts quite regularly in the news to 100 megawatt to 100 plus megawatts now it's it's changing that quickly it's like before your eyes isn't it yeah and i think that that scale as well and we'll talk about some of the responsible stuff but it's fundamentally changed how the industry now has to behave as well because before it was a small proportion of you know commercial real estate it was comms rooms were sat in people's buildings they weren't the issue and, and now the buildings are the comms room so that's been a real significant change and it's it's elevated the profile of the industry you know to you're talking about aviation level awareness of before if i said someone who worked in a data center sector they had no idea the amount of people who actually now understand where i work i'm surprised by sometimes yeah no definitely i shared a post this morning of an article on the bbc news and i said like even the bbc news is picking up new data center projects now and you wouldn't have seen that six months ago yeah big change and obviously that brings us on to what you're doing now and like you said, rebellion, you know, and obviously we'll touch on that first before we go on to Rise Futures. But do you just want to give everyone a brief overview of, of what rebellion is, what you're doing, and how it kind of reflects to the data center sector? Yeah, definitely. So I thought, I suppose, in, in kind of stepping out of corporate life and wanting to spend time in charity and then thinking, you know, still young young children, mortgages, all the other good stuff need to, need to work and, and enjoy working in the sector as well. So if I, I thought if I'm going to stay in the sector and work in the sector, I want to work on things that are going to help change the sector for the better long term. So I suppose at the heart of what we do is it's becoming a catalyst for for climate action. And I mean that in a sense of like, how do we actually affect it? It's one thing yeah, becoming um, almost like an activist and saying these things need to happen. And those are relevant problems, but someone's got to solve it. And then we're very much in the solving mode of how do we affect those things? How do we create, you know, carbon literacy how do we work with customers to actually put that into a strategy that affects what they do so the first kind of component is is the carbon element the climate element and then it's working with companies that want to change in that space as well so rather than doing reactive things you know there's lots of good sustainable practices that exist you know every site with lead brian wherever it might be but those are very much kind of operational things we're, we're very much about working with companies that top principle level how does that find its way into your assets how does that find its way into your construction strategy how do we make those changes so climate working with organizations that want to affect those things and then the link into what we do with rise is very much benefiting communities so as we as we deliver these assets into new communities we have a significant effect you know whether that be economic effects whether that be around grassroots jobs so those are kind of our real three components how do we create climate action within the sector, working with businesses that genuinely want to change it from the top down? And how do we fundamentally change the way they deliver their assets? And how does that create benefit back to communities? When you're having these conversations around climate action, I was chatting to um, Rob Flegging at Nautilus yesterday, and it's quite obviously they're very much on the sustainability side. And are you finding now that 
more people want to talk about it because of the recent media coverage around climate? I think I think there's two reasons. So I think, yes, it's a reaction to to the state of the world and media and where we are and a realisation of we need to do something. I think also it's a, a generational thing as well. And I think there's a whole new generation pushing through that higher educate. But I think, you know, look at our generation, kids, et cetera, coming through. And I'm saying, I think, Christ, you know, in 10 years' time, am I going to say I did something that was working on the problem or am I going to say I was part of the problem? And I think... So I think it's a multi-generational. A lot of people talk about, and the majority of people kind of in rebellion, we've got bright young things, multidisciplinary, which is driving and pushing change and they've got literacy as well, so they understand it. But I think our, our generation has has definitely now got some awareness of it and we're saying, you know what, we've got, you know, whether it's you've got 10 years left to work, 20 years, whatever else, you you want to affect it, right? I want to spend those, those, those good years of, we're going to do something to work on the problem. Yeah, it's, I agree with that because it, I've got three young children and it's definitely something that you'd be more aware of now and probably, you know, being totally honest, sort of five, ten years ago, it wouldn't have really oh, been yeah. on your radar. I, I had no awareness. So this isn't, I'm, I'm not someone who's who's campaigned all my life and it's been ingrained in me. I'm, and, you know, part of creating this was to educate myself as well. It's like, can I go into this space, create an understanding and then truly affect something? Another point that comes up quite a lot as well is about regulation coming into the sector. You know, where we're, you see obviously moratoriums and the like, but more involvement from governments centrally. And I guess that's again where kind of you can get involved with sort of educating the organisations and also working with governments, I guess, on what we need to do as a sector. Yeah, I think you know, regulation, if it's done in the right fashion, is absolutely important component. I also think it's probably too slow. And as businesses, we can do things before that as well. And it goes back to the businesses we've engaged with and the people we talk to. The majority of people, they're good people. No one wants to do something that's actively going to harm people, planet, etc. So, but you don't know what you don't know. So a lot of it is let's create education. And most people are willing to take action in whatever stage that is. People are on board with, yeah, let's just do the right thing. Education needed, at obviously, the younger level as well, like taking that, viewpoint on that you know that education i guess to schools to colleges to universities is that kind of what we need to do as well yeah i think so but i think what what you find is people get pigeonholed and, and put into specialisms like if you take a career in sustainability you, you kind of get put into a department a wedge and you look at something i think what we need is actual we need people that are in construction to understand sustainability they need you know carbon literacy like and, and equally across all those things as well like engineering if you if you're a mechanical engineer having literacy around the decisions you make and what those things do are fundamental so i think it's not about creating more sustainability professionals it's about educating everyone within the supply chain anyone who's part of planning designing building operating should have literacy around what we do yeah, definitely. And I think it's one of those points where we can all impact as well, can't we? In our own way, we can all have an impact on climate, whereas there's not a lot of things that are like that. No, and, and it's just understanding the basics as well. Like with a lot of us, I think most people understand climate change and see it in media, and I think we would all feel passionate about it, but probably don't know what to do about it. Like if we, if we could have the simplicity of like, how do we actually affect this? What decisions can we make? Then, yeah, there's things we could all do in our everyday life that, you know, culminated across a whole population would have a big impact yeah definitely and on the rice futures side of it you touched on it briefly about the impact that we can have on communities and it's something that i'm always quite keen to highlight and 
quite a few of the operators that I've interviewed, you know, I've always asked them about what community programs they have in action and how that's helped the local region. I don't think we shout about it enough. So mm. from that perspective, what, what sort of work are you doing within Rise Futures to kind of obviously get the message out there, but also let's get the message out there. What, you know, what is it you're doing at the moment? So we're very, very focused and fundamentally it's changing the lives of vulnerable young people and and in a very specific demographic of care experience. So you have been in the care system or you are exiting or have exited the care system. So that's sub 1% of of kind of UK young population is is in that space. Um, And it would, to kind of context, you would be probably neat. So no education, employment or training, no access to those things. Um, and you would be within the care of the system and the professional team, or you would have exited that, et cetera, which means you've got fairly, you've got low opportunities in life and, and, and very few pathways to go down. Um, the professional teams are stretched, whether it be social services, et cetera, th- those amenities are all underfunded, understaffed, et cetera. So trying to use industry as a bridge to create opportunity for that as well. And I think certainly we're, we're a UK charity. So we, we've started off working with London boroughs, and, and that's how we kind of engage the community side of what we do. And it works really well with construction because every time you enter into a new borough, et cetera, there's a natural place for us. We would work with what's called the virtual school within that borough. And they would work with candidates within the system, et cetera, to look at how we how we would potentially affect their lives. And I think the first thing to say is it's not always about getting a job. So I think everyone, everyone goes to kind of like apprenticeships, which are all very valuable. Right? So I'm not detracting from any of the good work that exists but but sometimes with the vulnerable young people we're working with that would actually be outside of their reach you know if you if you've not been within education for a long period of time etc you may have low literacy you may have low reading writing and actually an apprenticeship is it feels too far away it could be that depending on um, the things that you've been through and, and kind of things you've been exposed to actually the, the right thing first is actually to to prioritize your safety you know your personal safety your purpose in life and actually wanting them to be alive is probably step one you know certainly for some of the more vulnerable young people we work with so first thing is focus on them it's not it's not just about creating jobs it's how do we how do we create a safe environment for them let's first make them safe let let's you know let's create some purpose let's get some self-worth and all those good things that are fundamental and then as we go through those things and if it's the right thing to do think about how we can create opportunity and below apprenticeships as well what's the lowest barrier to entry to bring them into into organizations and what we found is where apprenticeships will deal with like let's bring people into admin or very practical skill sets let's make you a tradesman what we found is they've actually performed unbelievably well in creative tasks so very resourceful very creative and it's we've used them around social values so if we have a a project we'll create opportunities for young people from that specific borough to come and say rather than say let's play build a playground what's the fundamental issues of that borough and and you know if they've lived in that borough and come up through those systems and experience those things they'll have genuine ideas of how would you really change a young person's life locally it's great what you're doing as well like you know that's obviously something that that needs to be done there's a clear gap for it i think um you know obviously my experience from a career perspective is when you when you when you talk to young people that are i guess in a demographic similar to what, what we're talking about, they, they don't know where to go. They genuinely just need that, like I say, like someone just to help them or, or a charity to help them. I think it's awareness of, of opportunities and you know, where the, and also that there's people like yourself, you know, that have, 
have had successful careers without a degree or whatever yeah, yeah. The, the qualification is at the time. So I think it's great what you're doing. And, and obviously, is there anything that, well, we've you know, got this opportunity in the platform that people can do to help you with that? Is there anything, you know, that we can as a sector do to help? I think one of the biggest things is is awareness. Um, and, and, you know, we, we are UK-centric and UK-focused. So anyone who's working with any of the counties or boroughs within the UK and they've got construction projects going into those areas, would love to have a conversation about being part of that strategy. So it doesn't, I think the key thing we say is we're not trying to detract from all the things that need to be done because we do need to create apprenticeships. We do need to create all those things. But we are an underrepresented slice of what a social strategy should be and would love to have a conversation around how might we form part of that strategy in a community. So that that's probably the biggest thing is just to open up a conversation, raise awareness. If you're if you're entering into a community or constructing an asset in a space, think about you know how you impact that community all the way through the spectrum of like the full demographic of people. And we would love to have a conversation about it. I think the second thing is we're UK focused. These problems exist in other countries as well. So even you know what we would do certainly is share knowledge talk to people etc if we're if we're constructing in another region or another country we'd love people to think about the same demographic as well even if you know the charity we're working for isn't specifically there it's something that i would just i believe that everyone should have vulnerable young people in their community strategies i would love to see that as a, a solution globally whether whatever charities those might be I said, and obviously we'll share all your details when we release the podcast, and you know, and hopefully we can we can help you with a, a bit of the awareness piece and keep pushing it across the yeah. years. Another point I wanted to touch with you about was was mental health because I I read your your blog titled Burnout, I believe, which is on the yep. the Rebellion website, and I, I found it you know really honest um, for one point and something that needs to be said. And and to be to be honest, it's something that does come up a lot in my conversations, probably more than people expect with people in the yeah. sector. It's a high pressured, tense, you know, high value sector. There's a lot, there's a lot of reasons that you can easily get burnt out in, in the data center world. So I just wanted to have a quick discussion around it, kind of about your story, how you recognize that you were reaching this point and I guess what we can do to help manage it for other people. I think there's um, there's lots of, Again, there's kind of a spectrum of, of burnout and stuff like that. I think the first thing I would say is I'm, I'm a workaholic, right? And that, that's my fundamental issue. And and it goes back to what's the reasons behind this stuff. And I'm, I'm a workaholic because it was a coping mechanism in life. You know, when I was when I was young, alcoholism, drugs, I had some significant events, you know, lost my sister when I was young. Father had problems with alcohol and drugs. My mother was killed, you know, in my early 20s and stuff like that. So... I never dealt with those things and it, and it turned into work. Work was my savior to hide and, and going out and socializing and drinking and working 12 hour days. It was a complete distraction from my reality in life. So I think I maintained kind of burnout's an interesting thing because I, I think I was in burnout for the majority of my career and found a, a way to function in it. But I think towards, towards the end, there was you know genuine points when I just I didn't want to do anything. I genuinely didn't want to didn't want to get out of bed. You'd still function and you turn up and you would smile, but you know, like I wrote there, there's points when I've run off to a cubicle and I'd have a panic attack, and then you walk back in the room and crack a joke, and everyone thinks everything's fine. So I don't think people always know people's situations. I think we look at each other and think, oh, he's a good guy. We had a beer the other day, or you know, she's brilliant, she's fantastic, always comes in smiling, tells jokes, whatever it might be. You know, we we don't understand what's happening behind with people. 
and um i think that's that's the version of burnout for me there's a real spectrum of like we all do things differently and some of it's self-induced like you know that workaholic element even now you know steps out of corporate life to set up a charity and do this but i was like right then we need to set up a business then i want to do this then i want to do that and i still do lots of hours i do lots of hours more on things that i actually want to work on now and, and genuinely affect but i've still got those innate things in in kind of inside me of what i do but i think it's more the element of lying to yourself as well so you know i think i wrote in the article it talks about you know it's okay because i'm creating a better life for my family it's okay that i didn't take my boy to school because i'm doing this and we're gonna have a nice holiday you just you get into kind of self-justification when i think the you know it's a true statement in life of you can always make another pound you can always make money in some fashion whatever you do but you'll never create another minute you know time is is completely finite and once it's gone it's gone and i think any of us that are accelerating or running towards a future event of if we save this much money if we do these things you know the family will be grateful because we had a better holiday well you know what they want is you own three four nights a week present having dinner at a table rather than once a year you cram a week's holiday and that you spent three times the money on wouldn't have said it any better to be honest with you but do you think switching off i'm similar i guess in a way that i really struggle to switch off and it's something that i'm aware of and i it doesn't impact me but i'm aware of it and it annoys me do you know what i mean it's like i have to have my phone near me i have to know i like yeah. i respond to emails really quickly even if i don't need to i don't the person at the other end doesn't expect it but i, I naturally do it and i guess it's there's probably a lot of people out there in a similar position where they probably are aware that not not say burnout but you know they're working too hard and could spend more time but how do you actually implement that into your day-to-day life you know what what do you do to make the change that you want to make but you're also aware that it's quite a hard change uh, listen i definitely don't think i've got the right answer yet because i'm in the same mode of it's it's easy to say these things but find myself i think the only thing i do do is just try and hold the line on certain things like i absolutely now Rather than be like, there's a dinner, and I think before you always had that kind of fear of missing out. I better be at that, or I better meet that client. I better not let that person down. Something, and then I'm like, do you know what? Every night I go home and I put my boy to bed. You know, it's an it's an exception now to go out for dinner, versus before it was the exception to put my boy to bed. So trying to create some of that balance. And the other thing is being, I think balance is the key word. Be realistic about what you can do because it's not about suddenly turning everything off and quitting your job and you know living a life with purpose because it's not the reality. So. I think having a balance and what's the what's the the minimum things you can commit to to be present in and just start there and then you find you start to enjoy it and then you actually want to do it rather than it be I've got to fundamentally change my habits and all this stuff. It's like actually, you know, I enjoy reading my boy's story every night. If I don't do it, then it I've already formed the habit and I'm like, actually I miss that. Like those are the things I want to do. So I def but it's you know, everyone reinvents themselves. We all find new ways of doing stuff. It's like I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna go run every morning just get a habit and repeat it is the the only advice that's kind of worked for me and then have some balance it's not about one or the other it's like what's in the middle we need to work you know we, we need to work and we enjoy working and it's a fundamental part of our life but we need family time as well and what's a healthy balance in those and it's different for all of us right you know because some people might be actually if i did this for a year i could retire and then i could have these things i think the key thing is don't kid yourself if it's like in five years time like just just be realistic about what is possible and i think the other thing that changed my mentality was I was thinking if I did this for five years, you know, I could leave the industry and go and live on a farm type thing. And I was like, 
I love work. I don't want to finish in five years. I actually want to go for as long as I possibly can. So I actually don't need to earn that money or do that thing or be on a plane every week. So I think just don't run towards a finish line. Like think about what you want to enjoy for a longer period of time. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm, I'm totally with you on the enjoyment piece. If you enjoy it, it's not a chore, is it? But it's a balance. Yeah, I totally agree with, with what you've said. On Finally on this point, but the data centre sector, as I said earlier, it's a really, you know, it's it's a stressful sector, let's be honest with, with everyone. Yeah. You know, it is people work really hard in this industry and it's fast paced, especially at the moment. But do you think the sector is is aware of the, sort of the challenges around mental health? And do you think there's, it needs to do more or what's your general view on it? I think the sector's aware of it. I think I think most companies will talk about it and say we're affecting it. Um, I don't think we're doing enough. I think when, when it comes to crunch, everyone will still say we need to go and do that. And there is a reality of how do you find the balance between you know businesses need to perform versus you need to take care of your people and they are in conflict because you know for businesses to do what we do and hit these schedules and do all of those things, we are going to burn people out. So I feel like we're the industry is in a bit of conflict of everyone saying we need to do this, we need to focus on it, it's important. But the reality of the work we do is in conflict with that thing. I do think for the first time there's genuine interest in changing it, but I don't think we've we've got that conflict sorted out. I don't think we've come to, again, what's the balance? Because it's not, I think the danger is we go to a spectrum of like, let's give people benefits, let's do this, let's have you days. And I'm like, that's not the problem. Like The problem is they're stressed and fried. So I think we've gone from trying to solve it with gimmicks, benefits, to I think we're just starting to do some work around like what's a practical thing of changing this? How do we, and what commitments are we willing to make? You know, if, if we want to build data centers in 12 months, we're going to burn people out. Do we all understand that? Like, you know, what what can we give in these processes? And I, and I guess the fact that we're talking about it and that the industry is talking about it yeah. is a massive step forward in itself. Yeah, and I go back to you, no, no one's a bad person. You know, there isn't an evil corp sat behind it saying, let's go and burn everyone out. But we haven't solved it. And it's that thing in the middle of like, there's awareness, there's intent. We've done some peripheral things that haven't got there and we need to do some work in between and probably collaborate more as well. I think companies should talk more about it. If we're going to, you know, it's not a, it's not a competitive advantage to solve mental health. It's a improve the industry advantage. That's what we should be focused on, not not being the smartest company. Like if we've got good practices, let's share them. Companies should collaborate more on that. It's, it's something that benefits everyone. Yeah, 100%. And as an example, of it, I had a call this morning from a global HR director about retention and what salaries do we need to pay for retention? And it's that type of conversation we're talking about, isn't it? Like, is that your yeah. problem? Is salary the problem? Or is that your go-to solution? Yeah, I think salary is a big part of it now because it's, what do you need to pay me to keep burning me out? That's the conversation now. It's not it's not a um you know what's what's fair reward what's a fair exchange of value for what we do it's if you want to keep me in this i'll do another 12 months if you pay me 40 percent more if you give me a bonus i'll stay for the next six months and take this over the line but you're exchanging your mental health for money and it's and that's why salaries are through the roof now as well because it's it, it can be a really hard confrontational industry to work in that burns people out so we're saying well if you want to take that chunk of me you've got to pay me this amount of money yeah, and it's a it's a vicious circle, isn't it? It's kind of it's just continuous as well. And as as we know, it, it does. The where's the end point? It has to be an end point at some point. You can't yeah. keep paying people more money. So, looking at the bigger yeah. picture is definitely the right solution. And if you went back and asked people what they want, like I'm certainly at a stage now where I'm like, I want time. 
that's all I want. I actually want time back in my life. Like <clears throat> money is not the yeah, we all need money to to live and do the things we want to do. And it's certainly I'm not saying that's not the case. I'm you know I wish I had more of it. It's the honest answer. But you know, it certainly makes life easier. It's not, it's not the problem, but equally, it's not the solution either. I'm like, I would take time over money all day long now. Yeah, and we did a survey um, after COVID with our staff about what what they wanted. You know, what was more important to them, and they all said time. And that's when we implemented the four day week. And I, as a as we were saying earlier, as someone that's been in the industry 22 years, you know, working four day a week was probably you couldn't get more. A difficult conversation with me if you tried you know yep. I'm like, I used to work six day weeks <laughs> when I started so but that's what people wanted and and, and in the positive I'm, I'm happy to talk to anyone offline about it that, that's interested but it's had a massive yep. impact on our business results staff retention attraction everything and the reason is time you know we don't pay people more money but we give them more time to do what they want to do so it's a great I'd point be fascinating to talk to you about it we've got um i know cedra internally was looking at some of those principles of the kitchen so we'd love a conversation we could definitely learn from the stuff yeah no 100 percent. before we close up there's just a couple of questions that i ask everybody on on the podcast um i started off asking people their 2022 predictions but it's now september so i've changed it to predictions for the next 12 months so is there anything that do you think it's going to have a dramatic impact on the sector over the next 12 months? I think probably what we've just talked about. So I think in the next 12 months, so we always talk about not there not being enough talent available in the sector. I think we've got a reverse problem now. I think talent's exiting the sector as well. So we already had a shortfall in the, in the next 12 months. I'm, I'm definitely expecting that we are, we're going to not only fail to attract enough talent, I think we're going to struggle to retain it. I think, you yeah. know, particularly the generations coming through as well. You know, we've got a sort of 12 of us in the business and the majority kind of bright young things and, and put an immense amount of pressure on us. You know, they're not. If we if we don't do the things we say we're going to do, we're not going to retain that talent. And I think the majority of the large organisations out there, it's, it's you know, and it's, they're big machines to turn around, right? So I don't think anyone can do this easily or overnight. But equally, if we don't do the things we say we do, I think the generations below are going to hold us to account and say, I'm off. You know, you've not done what you said. Uh, my prediction absolutely is that it won't be just a failure to attract talent. I think we will absolutely lose a tranche of young talent in the industry because they don't believe that we're going to do what we say we're going to do. I think on that, with with the talent and yeah, peace, attraction, retention, when you're growing so quickly, the focus tends to be totally on attraction. You skip yep. retention when it should be the other way around, you know. <laughs> like if, yeah. if you if you're retaining people, you don't have to attract as many. And these are conversations I have with with people. It's get your retention strategy right first, then look to your attraction strategy. Because if people see that not many people leave your organization, they'll be naturally attracted to it because they want to know why. They'll be inquisitive. Look, yep. why is your retention so good? And that's going to attract people. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. Could talk about that one all day because it's one of my uh, something I get on my soapbox about. So we won't. Before we close up, um, there's one question I ask everyone on the podcast, and you've given some great advice already. And I think everything you said is going to offer some huge value to the listeners. But if you could give one piece of advice to anyone looking to work in the sector, what would it be? I I think, and I, and I think this about myself as well is that it's it's very easy to jump on some of the buzzwords at the moment of like carbon neutral social value and i think lots of people form opinions and talk i think my my most amount of advice is get literate like understand what those things actually mean and i think you know for, for all of us at all levels 
the only way to affect these things is if we actually understand them. So it's not just debate and it's kind of things, oh yeah, we want to do this and we're going to create social value. Become literate around what that actually means. You know, certainly you think from a charity capacity, if people want to understand what what affects vulnerable young people and how we change it, like understand those things, actually talk, speak to a charity, speak to us, speak to other people, whatever you're passionate about. If we're going to truly affect carbon, it's it's about literacy of how do we do that? Because the majority of people, and it's from a high-level strategy, leaders are talking about it. If you went to the majority of people that are actually working outside of specific departments and went to a project site and talked to you know, an operational member of staff or a constructor, have the companies given them the ability to be carbon literate? Have they given them the factors? If you did these things, they would affect it. Apart from kind of like, you know, corporate initiatives of replace this, do that. I think educating people is more powerful than telling them what to do at points as well. Let's give people the education they need. And I think for whatever job you're in, you now need a literacy around those things. That'd be my biggest advice. Uh, Great advice. And one that hasn't been said before, but definitely great advice. And I compare it to when I talk to people about sustainability and I always ask them what sustainability means to them and you get a different answer every single time. A hundred percent. And I think it's, you know, the danger is it can't be a buzzword. It's got to be, it's got to be about education. Like the, the quickest way to solve these things is to help people. Because again, if people know what the right thing is, you know, the likelihood is they'll do it. No one intentionally wants to behave badly or do things in a fashion. But if we've not created education, then you know, more for us, that's going to be the catalyst for change. Definitely. And a great way to end the podcast. Thanks for your time today. Obviously, great to learn more about you, Rebellion, Rise Futures. You're, although you're no longer a workaholic, you are you are still very busy. Um, <laughs> but you, I'm sure you're more than happy if anyone's got any questions about anything we've talked about to reach out to directly. Uh, 100%. I love talking about this stuff and uh, definitely want to help people, particularly when it comes to the charity. We've got a broad range of trustees as well. So, And with Rebellion, we've got some amazingly bright people that know more things than me as well. So, we, we like talking about this stuff so please do always reach out yeah definitely and we'll obviously share all the details when, when we release the episode but thanks for your time Matt great to catch up and we'll obviously speak again in the future definitely it's been awesome thank you very much